You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Jason Pfeiffer, who is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, entrepreneur being one of the hardest words to spell. He's also host of the podcast Build for Tomorrow, which is about the things from history that shapes us and how we can shape the future. Other fun facts, uh, he has also worked as an editor at Men's Health, Fast Company, Maxim, and Boston Magazine. And you might have seen him in other places like Washington Post, Slate, New York, and others. Jason, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I will admit to you that for the first couple months that I worked at Entrepreneur Magazine, I had misspelled entrepreneur in my email signature until somebody yeah. finally alerted me to it, which I was very grateful for. That is amazing. So uh, speaking of misspellings, one of my favorite things about you is you have an Instagram account and you're, you're mm. quite active on Instagram. I am. And one of the things you do, and, and not to like throw people under the bus, but you screenshot pitches you get and, and proposals, both for podcast guesting and articles. Tell me about that and what it's like doing that as an editor and, and why you do it. Yeah. So I call it Inbox Monday. I do it on my Instagram stories every Monday. And then I try to convert the ones that people like the most into posts and other things. And I'm trying to share what I get. What am I seeing? If you ever wondered what it looks like for somebody in my kind of position, which is just to say somebody who has something a lot of people want and people come to try to get it, which in my case is coverage and entrepreneur, then what are people doing right? And what are they doing wrong? I feel like it's instructive. And uh, the reason I started doing it, it really goes back to a couple of years ago, I was speaking at this event called 212. It's one of those very intimate events where instead of speaking on stage, I sit with groups of people and we talk. And I was explaining to people, people would, you know, people ask questions and the question people always ask is how to get press. And at some point I was trying to explain something to somebody, maybe somebody had asked me about how to write an email or whatever. And anyway, I was like, you know, do you want to just see some examples? And I pulled out my phone and opened my email and everybody at the, around the table just like leaned in, you know, like, like it was really exciting to see what was in my inbox. And that's a funny moment for me because of course my inbox is not exciting or interesting. To me, my inbox is like a burden that I have to deal with all the time. But for other people, it was really interesting. And th that's when I realized that I, I, I'm i kind of a, I, I'm sitting at this window. I'm like sitting and blocking this window that everyone wants to look into. And so why don't I just get out of the way and let people look in? It's instructive for everyone. No, it's it's amazing. So you're getting these uh, pitches. What about the positive? When do you get a pitch that you're like, man, that's amazing. What are the ingredients that are in there? So the ingredients are not, look, I can't give you ingredients like how to make a pie because it, they're all kind of abstract. But the most important things to me are, is somebody communicating that they really understand what I am looking for and what entrepreneur does or any other product that I'm doing? Build for tomorrow. What does build for tomorrow do? The more that you understand the product, the more that you can serve it. 
and you can show up and be an opportunity. I, I, I like to say, and you've surely seen it on my Instagram, I can say it all the time, don't ask for an opportunity, be the opportunity. And that is because most people just show up and they ask for an opportunity. They don't spend any time understanding what it is that you're looking for. Instead, they just come looking for a handout. Hey, can I have a feature story? Hey, I'd really like to be covered. It doesn't work like that. I'm not a service provider. I don't provide a service to you, the person who I write about. The service that I provide is information for my audience. And so you better understand what I'm trying to do and how I'm serving my audience. And the better you can do that, the better you can communicate to me that your idea is a, is a fit, your story is a fit, and help me see it, which is no different from any other kind of pitching, right? This is not just a lesson about media. This is a lesson about anything because if you're reaching out to a consumer, you better understand their pain point and how to communicate what you do in a way that's going to be valuable for them. They don't have the time to sit around and try to figure out how you're useful to them. You better figure it out yourself and then go to them with the answer. And so that's what I see in pitches that are really good or pitches that articulate that. And pitches that are really bad are pitches that are asking for a handout. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the flip side of the, the car wrecks of the things you get sent, whether it's misspelling of your name or, you know, you've been BCC'd and something like those, it's, it's actually quite instructive because I don't think people realize how bad that comes across in your inbox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the small things like what you just described, people getting my name wrong, people getting my name wrong all the time, or, or they'll send out a pitch and it'll say, I'm such a big fan of your show, but it turns out that I'm very obviously BCC'd on something. So like, are they just a fan of everybody's show? So those are bad. But I think the really important stuff is to understand the nuances of communication and see that sometimes when people are pitching, here, here's here's an example. Some A lot of people will come to me and they'll they'll pitch me like a gigantic bullet point list of every interesting thing about their business and about themselves. And it'll go on and on and on. And I've shared that kind of stuff on Instagram and people are people think, oh, that was really smart. That person did a good job. And the answer is no, that person did not do a good job. That did, person, in fact, communicated to me that they have absolutely no idea what will be interesting to me. So they're putting it on me. They're going to yeah. show up and say, I, here's a, I don't know, here's just a bunch of crap. Is any of this interesting to you? And I mean, imagine, imagine if you went to an investor yeah. and your pitch was, ah, here's a bunch of crap. You want to fund any of it? That doesn't work. Yeah. You better understand what matters to them. And so a big bulleted list of every damn thing about your company isn't actually communicative. I'm not going to spend the time going through it and doing your work for you. Instead, yeah. figure out how I'm communicating with my audience, how you could fit into that style and into that mission, and then tell me the two things of you that matter that are going to fit in there. That's how to do it. Yeah. I know Winston Churchill said it takes longer to prepare a three-minute speech than an hour-long speech. Yeah, that's right. You shed mm -hmm. all that stuff out. Mm -hmm. So uh, the side of pitching, right? People are, are giving you ideas and they want you to do a story about them. You wanted them to assign a writer. What about the flip side uh, of pitches where people are saying, hey, I've written something. I have a, mm -hmm. an op-ed or I have a listicle I'd love for you to publish. What's it like getting those versus the, the pitch and assign a reporter? Well, uh, so there are two ways to answer that. Um, there's the there's the very tangible specific answer and then there's the broader answer. The very tangible specific answer is that entrepreneur no longer 
accepts one-off pitches like that because now everything goes through something called Entrepreneur Leadership Network, which you could just, just go Google it. You'll find it. So yeah. uh, so that's the only way to write for the site now is to yeah. apply for Entrepreneur Leadership Network. But there's still many other places that you could pitch one-offs to. And so let me just tell you the best piece of advice I have for that. And this goes, this goes for anybody. I follow this myself. I've written op-eds for, I mean, you know, I, 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 I've been a journalist, but I also also have been an opinion writer and I've written op-eds for the New York times and the Washington post and others. And so I have to follow this too. Here's the answer. Don't pitch it, write it. Don't tell me the idea, just write the idea and submit it. And the reason for that is because then the editor can understand whether or not this actually has the payoff that they're looking for. And they won't know that if you just send a couple sentences. Hey, I would like to write a story about how important it is for people to think about this, this, and this. Okay, that could be really interesting or it could be really boring. And the only way to know is to see the final product. And I don't think that many editors have the time to respond to you and say, you know, this sounds kind of interesting, but why don't you write the whole thing and then send it to me and then I'll read a second email of yours. They're probably just going to delete. So if you have a good idea, sit down, write it, try to write it to the style and format of the publication that you're reaching. So a Washington Post op-ed is like six to 700 words, generally yep. speaking. I mean, sometimes they can go longer, but that's usually the two. So if I write a 3,000 word piece and I drop it on the Washington Post, I can guarantee you that no editor there is going to be like, this is so amazing that we're going to throw out all of our rules and run this at 3,000 words. It's not going to happen. Start with the guidelines that you are seeing existing in the world. Like the market speaks, so learn yep. the market and then follow it and, and pitch it to them um, you can, it's, it's nice to have a little intro about you and about, and then include the whole piece and let the editor decide. Yeah. And then there's places like entrepreneur leadership where you can go there and, and or thrive global another place where you can mm-hmm. submit directly. Correct. If you join these clubs or you get accepted into the, the, yeah. the writing circle, as you call it, yeah. do you have a name Every- for your writing circle? Leadership well, I mean, uh, Entrepreneur Leadership Network is the name of the program. So yeah. that's kind of Perfect. what we call everything, ELN for short. But yeah, er- everybody does it a little different. Some some people yeah. you some people you can only apply uh, and then you're and then you're in and you can write a certain amount of time. And, and yeah. sometimes people will take one offs. Uh, you know, yeah. every, every publication is different. You have to learn what everyone is doing and looking for. Jason, I got to ask your your history in the role you play. Mm-hmm. What has it been like watching the growth of the listicle that BuzzFeed made so famous? The the you know and, and seeing it coming into mainstream publications. My guess is that if somebody did the history of the list, yeah. uh, and I, I don't know that anybody has, that a version of this has been around for a very long time. Benjamin Franklin. And, you know, in the 1700s wrote a, a list of like, I can't remember what it was. I, I included it in a episode of Built for Tomorrow. Yeah. I did this episode of, of Built for Tomorrow about uh, to-go cocktails and the shifting and legislation in America about yeah. um, about to-go cocktails, and uh, which is crazy and ridiculous. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in America, we have just the most twisted, ridiculous laws about alcohol that drive me insane. And so I found this this thing where he had written this long list that was printed in in a newspaper in Pennsylvania of like every possible way to call somebody a drunk in the 1700s. And it was hilarious. You know, people, people love that stuff. I wish I could remember any off the top of my head. I can't conjure them, but they were we'll, all- We'll put like, a link to that, uh, link to that podcast episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're funny and absurd and so 1700s. A- anyway, links have been around a long time. I, I, my first national magazine job was at Men's Health and that I started it in 2008. And there were lists all over that magazine 
all over it. I mean, there's constant lists. So I think people like lists for reasons that I couldn't really explain to you because I hate lists. Like I never read a list ever, but people like them. And when you find a format that works, everybody starts doing it. So I think there's something instructive there if you want to be a writer, which is to say people like lists make a list, but understand what makes a list good. I think sometimes people just stop at the structure. Oh, yeah. People are they're publishing lists. I guess I'll write a list. I'll write a list of the 10 great things about me. That's not a good list. You know. So understand what makes the list. How are they structuring it? Why is it good? Is it good because it's funny? Is it good because it's insightful? How long are they going with each item in the list? One sentence, a paragraph, whatever the case is, every list can teach you something about how to write your own list. It's a great mystery to me. I don't know. Why yeah. do you think people like lists? I, I, I just I can't get into them. They're so boring. It's like the microwave. It's it's quick. It's easy. It's fast food. It's a you know it's a clickbait. Oh yeah, three ways to get a better arm muscle or whatever yeah. it is, right? Like uh, two ways to yeah, get abs, right. right? Like that whole thing, right? I, yeah, I guess that's true. I wondered if part of it is that people it just makes people curious if the thing that they think should be on the list should be on the list. Like the only yeah. time I think I've ever actively clicked on a list that I just saw like tweeted yeah. was I think it was New York Magazine. It could have been somebody else did a list of top 50 or top 100 or whatever it was, best TV episodes, not shows, just episodes of all time. And so I saw that and I thought to myself, which this is exactly why people click on these lists, right? I thought to myself, if the constant episode of Lost is not on that list, then, uh, you know, a tragedy has taken place. And so of course, then I had to go into the list and like click through the whole thing. And wouldn't you know, the constant episode from Lost was number one on the list, as it should have been because it's an amazing episode. Otherwise, I just can't get into them. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I saw a listicle I clicked on last week. It was the the 50 CMOs to watch and, and in 2021. And so I clicked sure. on it. The problem is that this massive pay gate came up, which I was like, okay, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll actually pay for this publication. I'm like, I'll do it. I pulled up my credit card. But then my postal code said it didn't match my oh, card. So Eventually, I gave up. And like, I, I just wish, why don't you put PayPal in there or something easy? Like, I'll pay. 
But right. just I got I got don't, don't, too much friction. Too much so friction. Much friction. I'll, I'll tell you one other secret. I mean, we've probably spent too much time talking about lists, but I'll tell you one one secret about lists as we're talking about this that I realize most people probably aren't aware of, and this explains a bunch of the listicle world online, and that is that lists are amazing for ad revenue. And the reason for that is because oftentimes lists are structured where you have to click next to see the next thing in the list. And every time you click that, it's a refresh of the ads. And so that is a lot more ads than just clicking on an article and reading reading vertically. Every time you click, if there's 50 and you click 50 times, that was 50 ad impressions. That is fantastic. People love that. That's why those lists exist. Wow, that you heard it straight from the source. I need to ask you, from what you're seeing right now in entrepreneur, what do you see in Canada? Have you noticed any difference in kind of entrepreneurs coming out of Canada or businesses coming out of Canada? I haven't, but it's not something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I'd be curious if you feel like there's a different vibe or energy in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Canada. I mean, I hear of great startups in Canada and I just signed to a speaking agency in Canada. Talent <laughs> uh, Bureau. I was working with Talent Bureau, actually now yeah. Lavin. Okay, nice, um, nice. So, um, so uh, tal- the Talent Bureau folks were absolutely great, but Lavin just made me a, a pitch that I, I was very compelled by. And so, you know, it's funny, one of my very first speaking engagements ever that I went to, uh, you know, like once I, once I started being comfortable being like, you should pay me to speak, was at the Montreal Startup Fest. Nice. And it was awesome. It was just so much energy. Yeah. yeah. I still wear a, a t-shirt that I picked up there by Element AI. I don't know if that's a Canadian company or if they yeah. just happen to be at Montreal. Yeah. And that was great. And I, you know, I want to make sure that those kinds of guys are on my radar as well because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm based in the U.S., but that doesn't mean that we're only U.S. No, totally. That's a hometown of Cirque du Soleil and Celine Dion, Montreal. Ah, and Poutine. Yeah, Poutine. Yeah, yeah. And then up the road is Shopify, uh, Ottawa. Right. Is where oh, Shopify right. Was, sure. Was... I've, talked to, I've talked to the Shopify guys many times, right? Yeah. Fantastic company. Yeah. No, it's incredible. So your podcast, I, I, yeah. and I think we were talking offline. I, I have been following your show, Hush Money, for a long time. I love Thank your you. podcast format. I'm sad that it no longer exists because it was one of the few shows I actually listened to every episode on. But your yeah. new show, tell us about it because it's it's brilliant. Again, the, the take on history and what it means for today and tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. So I really appreciate that. I'm sorry to disappoint with Hush Money. So Build for Tomorrow, it's actually not a new show. It's been around since 2016, but it went through a rebranding. It used to be called something else. And, uh, and, and you know, actually for marketers, there's a really good lesson in there. So before I even tell you, I'll, well, I'll tell you about the show in, yeah. in the service of telling you about this lesson that I learned. So this show was born in 2016 under the name Pessimist. And actually, Pessimist Archive was born in a way in Canada because Pessimist Archive was originally created as a Twitter feed by this guy named Louis, who was British, but was living in Toronto at the time and had started this feed, which was just, it was like finding newspaper clippings of people from the past saying that inventions that today we think of as great are bad. So like, you know, people bemoaning novels as being too addictive or making women infertile, which is something that people believed, or, you know, that the bicycles would make people insane, which they also believed. And I found it. I loved it. I was doing similar writing about these kind of fears of the, from the past. And we started this show together. Well, I hosted the show and he continued with the Twitter feed and we called it Pessimist Archive. And then it, and it grew and it grew and it was a lot of fun. And it developed this really fantastic audience among especially tech people and academics and historians and so on. And then my, my interests broadened and I stopped just being curious about why people were fearful of the bicycle or why, why, why the British were completely opposed to the umbrella in the 1700s because they were so ridiculous. And 
started to wonder how change happens and what we can learn about how we have reacted to change across time and how we can apply that to the changes that we're experiencing today. And as I was doing this, we brought on, a couple of years later, we brought on a, a consultancy called Pen Name Consulting. And they were supposed to help the show grow. And one of the things that they did is they surveyed the audience. And I had never actually done like strategic audience insights research before. And we came back really fascinating, but with two massive, massive points that I could not ignore. Point number one, the name is a barrier to entry. Pessimist Archive sounds pessimistic. It wasn't, it wasn't a pessimistic show. It's a very optimistic show, actually super fun, and also sounded kind of cheap, whereas the show is actually deeply, deeply researched and highly produced. It's like an hour-long, fun, crazy audio documentary. It's like nothing you've ever heard. Um, so the show was, it was turning people off. If people got over the name and they started listening to the show and they liked it, they had an impossible time convincing their friends to listen to it for the same thing. Yeah name. And then number two, why did people listen to the show? I thought it would be because of an academic interest, but it wasn't. They said that they listened to the show because it helps them feel resilient about the future. And once I heard that, I thought, oh my God, I am making this show that is not explicitly a servicey or a self-help show, but it is having a self-help effect on people. And I need to take this barrier to entry down and I need to lean into the value. So we went through this long process. Ultimately, Louis from Pessimist Archive and I decided to very cordially part ways, you know, structurally speaking. Like we used to run a company together and now he keeps Pessimist Archive. And I rebranded the show as Build for Tomorrow because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And, and I want to do that in all sorts of ways. Sometimes funny, like for example, I don't know, is this a thing that people in Canada complain about? Because it's certainly a thing that dominates American conversations. Participation trophies. Do you guys have the argument about participation trophies? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I, I've heard people make jokes and reference about it, but like, oh, that person's like that because they were given a participation ribbon in elementary school. But That's right. That's but it's right. not as active. It's more like reference to someone who's an adult who got one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well, th that's interesting. That's interesting that if you ask an American this, they'd know it very well. So basically the argument is like, Kids today all get participation trophies when, they, when they're in youth sports. It doesn't matter if they won or lost or even yep. showed up. And that teaches them that you don't have to work hard and that everything should come to you just because you showed up. And every, people, really serious people, make this stupid argument. But if you look back at the history of it, which I did – what you find is that participation trophies have actually been around for a hundred years. They started showing up in the 1920s and they've been around ever since. And everyone who says, oh, these participation trophies totally got a participation trophy themselves and they just don't remember it because it wasn't that important. So I think that by understanding the history and the context of the things that we think of as signs of some kind of decline in, in, in our lives, you can actually start to understand that it is not that and you can start to feel better. And then on the more serious side, I just did an episode about this belief that we are all addicted to technology, tech addiction. You hear it all the time. People always talk about tech addiction. Again, a big subject in Washington. I don't know if it's a subject in Canada, but big, big subject in Washington. But if you actually talk to addiction researchers instead of tech critics, what you discover is that addiction researchers, people who understand and study addiction for a living are all like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like this is, this is not, no, this is not what addiction looks like. This is not addiction. Your measurements for tech addiction are all ridiculous and not based in science. Like we're talking about oftentimes overuse, 
But overuse and addiction are totally different things. And also when you start calling something addiction, when you start believing that you have an addiction, what you really have done is kind of developed a learned helplessness where you now feel like you don't have any control of this situation. But if we reframe it as what it really is, which is overuse, right? There's a wonderful term in, in the psychology, pathologizing common behavior. Or pathologizing common behavior, which is to say you see people overusing something. That's totally common. And then you pathologize it and you start calling it something medical, which it's not, which is addiction. And so anyway, overuse, now you are empowered. You can stop that if you want. Understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. It's possible that there's some reason why you're overusing technology. I, you know, I look back on my life and I see that I was very unhappy at a job. And that happened to be the time when I was like using Twitter like crazy because I was totally dissatisfied and I was finding some satisfaction on Twitter and that, and, you know, new career. And now I'm not touching Twitter nearly as much. So anyway, the show is called Build for Tomorrow. I'm very, very passionate about trying to take down the barriers that we build up ourselves for progress and for being excited about the future. And I, I, I want to help people get there. When I was listening to your show, I felt like I felt you're a person with a lantern and I feel like you're going into some places that no one's ever gone before. I feel like you take me into these caves and you're like, hey, look at this. Yeah. Look at this. And you shine all <laughs> this light on stuff. And it's not as scary is what That's I feel right. like you've done for so many things. So I, I, I love that about your show. It's been amazing. I really, really appreciate that. I mean, so, something something people should take away or think about for any moment of change that they experience, big or small. I have this philosophy. You go through four phases. Phase one, panic. Phase two, adaptation. Phase three, new normal. Phase four, wouldn't go back. Our goal should be to go, should be to get to wouldn't go back. Wouldn't go back is where you realize that something new is in your life now. You're doing something in a different way and you would not want to go back to a time before you had it. That's, yeah. that's the opportunity that, that's in front of you in every moment of change. Yeah. One, one thing I like what you do, and speaking of tech addiction, is uh, you actually write notes you you write quotes in in yes. paper and it looks like a moleskin i'm, I'm assuming uh yeah, little something. notebook and, and right. you take a picture you and yeah. these beautiful quotes are like like kind of the throwback old school handwritten notes and that's your quotes on your instagram tell me about that and, and your process of doing that and why you've started doing handwritten notes on instagram yeah thanks so you know it really it it comes out of some strategic marketing thinking I sat back when I was trying to figure out who I am to people and how do I develop the brand that is Jason Pfeiffer instead of the person that is Jason Pfeiffer. And like any good brand builder, I thought, well, I, I have to start with a couple words. And one of the words that I use and that I think of myself as being defined by is the word accessible. I want to appear and be accessible. And that means that everything that I do has to flow from that. And I, I have to live up to it because I, I promise accessibility to people and then, and then I need to pay off. And so that means, for example, that I always say, and I, I say here, and if your listeners are welcome to test me on it, if you DM me, I respond. I do wow. I respond to everybody and, um, because it matters. And also, so I was thinking, I was thinking, what's a franchise that I can create on, on, on Instagram? You know, everybody should have a franchise, a kind of repeatable, simple concept people can come back for. And I thought, well, I, I see that inspirational quotes do very well on Instagram. So what can be my take on that? And I felt like, okay, well, well, let's do two things. Number one, I'm not just going to like quote other people. It's not going to be a bunch of Gandhi and Steve Jobs quotes, right? Like that's overplayed. Let's see if I can come up with stuff on my own. I realize that when you're trying to come up with like an inspirational quote that's like six words long, you're not going to be 
breaking new ground every day, but but let's at least make it feel like it's coming from me because I'm not just quoting other people. And then number two, everyone designs them in this very beautiful looking way, yeah. but that's not accessible. That's the opposite of accessible. Yeah. And so what would accessible look like? And the answer is, well, it would look like my crappy handwriting on a notebook that I am very clearly holding. Like I just yeah. hold it in one hand and I take a photo of it in another. And people love it. Yeah. They love it. They love it more than almost any other thing I do. <laughs> yeah, crazy. It, it, I bet you in a year from now, Canva is going to have that as a, fil- uh, a, a template now. Yeah, <laughs> the the Jason Pfeiffer <laughs> note right. template. Canva, get in touch if you uh, if you want if you want to work that deal out. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny because my handwriting is terrible, but I have found great success with it, and I think it's because there's a product market fit here. I mean, I'm creating something, but it really fits into the world that I've built and the expectation that people have for me. And the only problem I have is that I sometimes can't come up with these quotes fast enough. And so, so uh, days sometimes go by without me posting one, but I'm really glad that it clicked. Okay. So uh, where can people find you? Where should people be in touch? Thank you. So, I mean, I, I suppose the things that we've already said, build for tomorrow, the podcast yeah. would love for you to check it out. And then, you know, you've been very kind to ask me a bunch of questions about my Instagram. So if, if you want Instagram, I'm at Hey Pfeiffer, H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R. I'll add one more thing, which is that if you go to my website, jasonpfeiffer.com yeah. and click on free training, you get a free audio course that I put together about how to become more adaptable. It's an hour long free audio course, and uh, hopefully it'll make you more excited about the future. And Build for Tomorrow book, is that on the horizon? It's coming? It's on the horizon. Year? It's a full, yes. no, not this year, next year. It's it's yes. uh, August of uh, 2022. So get in touch now and you'll learn, I, I guarantee you'll hear about the book later. Yeah, no, I'm really, really excited. I'm, I'm two chapters away from finishing it as we speak. Amazing. And if Canadians want to have you speak, they can talk to the Levin or the Levine agency. L-A-V-I-N, however you want to pronounce it. I, I'm saying Lavin. It could be something else. Yeah, it's uh, Lavin. So you can you can contact Lavin. But if that if you can't remember that, it, on my website is, is a speaking page. You can get in touch and you know I'll, I'll connect you. But yeah, I would love to come up to Canada and meet um, meet everybody. So bring me up there. Yeah be amazing. Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. Make sure you check out Jason's podcast. It's incredible. Uh, And if you want to go back to the archives, Hush Money is also actually one of my favorite shows. Check that out. Thank you. Still relevant today, still really helpful. And it's a very, very good show. And of course, Entrepreneur Magazine, check that out where you can see uh, Jason's editorial stylings and his (laughs) his participation (laughs) there. So Jason, thanks again for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. See everyone next time on Marketing News Canada. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.